Hello, welcome to the Exploring Revelation podcast this week. I might have taken a week off there, just so you think. I actually I did take a week off. If you think you missed an episode, that was me. I had some extra things into my schedule last week. I was also debating a little bit on what we wanted to cover this week. And I kept saying we need to do a specific episode on dispensationalism. So here it is. We were, we're not going to spend hours here. Uh, the fact is dispensationalism is a complex system. I'll try to put some resources if you want to look more into this and more in-depth analysis of it. But it's a system that has really made its mark on the church. Uh, we haven't said a lot about it. We just put it in the, the category of, of premillennialism. We linked it to the Left Behind series, which is a, a fictional story built on dispensational premillennialism. And the purpose of, of that was to educate through entertainment. It, it was a brilliant strategy, really. But before the, the Left Behind series, there was a, a number of factors that really led to the popularity of, of dispensationalism. Uh, there was the, the Bible Institute movement. Dwight Moody uh, in Chicago had one. He didn't uh, necessarily start the movement, but it was his contact with a man by the name of Gratis Guinness. In 1882, Guinness founded the East London Institute for Home and Foreign Missions, also called the Harley House uh, Bible Training Institute. And Moody was really challenged to get involved in, in raising up and training lay people for more uh, effective ministry. Of course, we recognize that this later became what we know as Moody Bible Institute, right? We listen to their radio programs and, and all of those things. And, and this is seen what of a, a flagship institution when it comes to the Bible Institute movement. It was about this time that Moody was, was dreaming of these things that another man by the name of A.B. Simpson, who was the, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, he started training men and women in New York. And it was interesting that about the same time or as, as these guys are doing this, there's these Bible institutes that start popping up and they're teaching people from a dispensational perspective uh, within the church. And this became the, the predominant view. Uh, this was helped by uh, these bi uh, Bible prophecy conferences that, that started happening in the early 1900s. And then the, the Schofield Reference Bible was published in 1909, and it was extremely popular amongst conservative Protestants, and it taught from a, a dispensational perspective as well. It really put it out there and really started articulating. Uh, actually, the, the first Bible that I re received was a, a Schofield reference Bible. One of the, the studies, study Bibles that, that's very popular to today and it has really made a mark and influenced uh, the church is the, is the Ryrie study Bible. This too takes a very dispensational perspective and it has a, a, it has a very big influence on many people that, that use it. Um, in fact, we could just say something about study Bibles in general. Uh, the MacArthur Study Bible, John MacArthur is a, a dispensationalist, maybe not a classic one, but he's still, his study notes in his Bible would, would come from that perspective. Uh, when it comes to the popularity of dispensationalism within the church, though, we need to mention Dallas Theological Seminary has been a great influence because it has been uh, training uh, pastors in the dispensational perspective since 1924. So if dispensationalism started to gain popularity in the States around the time of D.L. Moody, let's just say 1882-ish, the question then becomes, where was it before that? So 
the origin of dispensationalism goes back to a guy by the name of John Nelson Darby. He was born in London in 1800, died in 1882. And Darby believed that national Israel would experience the earthly blessings promised to them at a future time. And this was different from what the church would experience. For Darby, there was a radical distinction between national Israel and the church. Darby also taught that the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, that just prior to the 70th week in that prophecy, the church would be snatched away or, or raptured. So relatively speaking, dispensational theology is pretty new. It hasn't been around all that long. Of course, if you ask a dispensationalist, they're going to say that it has been around because it's biblical. And they make a good point. If it's what the Bible teaches, then so be it. Just because it was, it was formalized into a system and, it was, and it's relatively new on the scene doesn't automatically mean that it's wrong. It just means that it's a, a red flag. So what is dispensationalism? Well, Charles Ryrie in his book aptly entitled Dispensationalism says, there is, no more, there is no more primary problem in the whole matter of dispensationalism than that of a definition. It's difficult to say, right, what it is. Well, dispensationalists uh, believe certain things. Dispensationalism is actually the system or the approach that gives rise to those conclusions that dispensationalists believe. And because it's the, the system or the approach, there's going to be some variation and some, some differences. And I think you see uh, this in, in uh, Vlach's definition. He says, uh, Michael Vlach says, Dispensationalism is an evangelical theological system that addresses issues concerning the biblical covenants, Israel, the church, and the end times. It also argues for a literal interpretation of Old Testament prophecies involving ethnic or national Israel and the idea that the church is a New Testament entity that is distinct from Israel. So dispensationalism is a system of interpretation. It is a hermeneutical framework, if you will. Now, when I say hermeneutic, I am referring to the art and science of Bible interpretation. It is the principles that we use as we seek to understand the Bible. And it's not only the principles that we use, but it's how we apply those principles, right? That's the art part. So hermeneutics is the art and science of Bible interpretation. Let's just take a couple minutes and talk about uh, what we call the distinct features of dispensationalism. We're going to boil it down to four. Uh, and like we said, it's a complex system uh, of interpretation. But let's just kind of boil it down to, to four major things or conclusions that we can gather from dispensationalism just to help us to kind of start uh, understanding the system. Let's start with the distinction between Israel and the church. This is where things get interesting because prior to dispensationalism, the classical understanding was that there was one people of God. In other words, there was not a distinction between the church and Israel, or at least the great, the great distinction that dispensationalism sees. So you have God in dispensationalism working with Israel, a national identity that goes back to Abraham, and the promises that God gives to Israel throughout the Old Testament must find their fulfillment in national or ethnic Israel. 
Now, there are some dispensationalists, though, called progressive dispensationalists, and we're not really going to get into that, but they would see some of the promises in the Old Testament finding fulfillment in the church. But classical dispensationalism would say no prophecies to Israel find fulfillment in the church. They're totally distinct, totally separate entities. Now, the church, according to dispensationalism, is a New Testament reality that began in the book of Acts. And the primary function of the church is to preach the gospel so that people from every part of the world, every ethnic linguistic group would be saved. So the question comes up, if Israel was God's people and he was going to bless the world through them, why is God now working with the church? And the answer is because of Israel's rejection. So then God turned to the church. But God is faithful and will one day turn his attention back to the nation of Israel and fulfill his promises to the nation of Israel. So the church becomes somewhat of a parenthesis in the plan of God. And he will, again, restore the, the nation and they will come around and they will start believing in Jesus at the time of Jesus' second coming. I, I want to say something about replacement theory here. A lot of times you will hear those coming from a dispensational perspective accuse others as, of what they call replacement theory or replacing Israel with the church. Now, just as a dispensationalist wouldn't want somebody to misrepresent their views, we should be very careful here because, you know, we're not trying to, you know, we're, I'm doing my best not to misrepresent dispensationalism, but we should realize that the that this isn't the view of most of people that differ from dispensationalism. Again, covenant theologians would understand there being one people of God. And true Israel are those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and it was counted to them as righteousness. Just as we read of Abraham in Genesis 15, 3, that he believed and it was counted to him as righteous. So therefore, true spiritual Israel are all those that would follow and place their faith in the promise of God that he would one day send a redeemer to abolish the curse of sin and death. Another feature of dispensationalism is that the scriptures are divided into what we call dispensations. Of course, this is where the name comes from. This is a contrast with what, what covenant theology is, which would see God is relating to us through covenants or agreements. Dispensationalists understand God is dealing with humanity in different ways in different dispensations of history or scripture. Charles Ryrie, in his book Dispensationalism, says this, Dispensationalism views the world as a household run by God. In his household, God is dispensing or administering its affairs according to his own will and in various stages of revelation in the passage of time. These Various stages mark off the distinguishably different economies in the outworking of his total purpose. And these different economies constitute the dispensations. The understanding of God's differing economies is essential to a proper interpretation of his revelation within those various economies, end quote. In other words, there are usually seven different dispensations or periods in which God deals with people differently based on the revelation that they have at the time. And, and understanding that is, is very critical when interpreting those texts. Like he says, you need to understand how God is dealing with the people with the revelation that they have in that certain dispensation. Um, and to understand that text is absolutely crucial. It's important to understand that Dispensationalists believe that, that people were always saved by grace through faith alone, though. Sometimes 
people accuse dispensationalists of of believing that in, in earlier dispensations God uh, isn't going they're not saved by grace but through faith but they're only saved by the information that they have at the time and um, that might be nuanced a little bit with different dispensationalists of course but uh, traditionally speaking, salvation is, is by grace through faith alone in dispensationalism. This leads to a third feature of dispensationalism, and that is what is usually referred to as a, a literal hermeneutic, right? Hermeneutic, the art and science of Bible interpretation. And this literal hermeneutic is applied to, to prophecy and, ap- and, and apocalyptic literature. Sometimes you hear this referred to as a consistent literal or grammatical historical hermeneutic of the Bible. Of course, this isn't to suggest that dispensationalists are the only ones that interpret the Bible literally. And even though dispensationalists like to say that they take the Bible literally, they acknowledge that other systems, too, take a a literal approach. So, When it comes to the Old Testament, they would say that the New Testament builds on it, but doesn't transcend or reinterpret it. In other words, what was expected in the Old Testament must come past literally. It cannot change our understanding of the Old Testament based on our understanding of the New Testament. So this is where we talk about grammatical historical. So, of course, symbolic language exists in the Old Testament, but one needs to understand that passage or prophecy in its grammatical and historical context, in in the context of of its dispensation and what revelation they had and how people would understand it then. And and this is where it's important that the the New Testament doesn't supersede or, or change the meaning of the Old Testament, but just builds on it. So Jesus, according to dispensationalism, is of course a Jew, the perfect Israelite, and it is in him that will ultimately save and restore ethnic Israel, but not before bestowing blessings to the Gentiles. Of course, some of this is being fulfilled today within the church, but the, the blessing of, of the gospel to the Gentile, the blessing of the gospel to the Gentiles, but the ultimate fulfillment occurs in Jesus' earthly reign after the second coming, the, the millennium where Jesus reigns. So now the fourth feature of dispensationalism is the end times events. If you remember, we talked about premillennialism. We said that dispensational premillennialism would fall underneath that. So there would be a, this is a form of premillennialism that Christ comes back before the millennium. Now, not only is dispensationalism very premillennial, but it also follows the interpretive framework of futurism that we talked about before. Remember, this is the view that a great majority of biblical prophecy is awaiting future fulfillment from our place in history. In other words, it's future to us, right? We contrast that with preterism that says that many or most prophecies were future to those living at the time, the original audience of the the book of Revelation, but they're past to us. A, A little different perspective there. So, References to the Antichrist or to the the seven years of tribulation, the abomination of desolation, the event in the Jewish temple. You know, these things are are future to us, according to dispensationalism. I'm sure you've seen that the end times charts that uh, have have been laid out. I I walked into a Sunday school room one time in in a church and the the end times timeline literally was a, a strip that went around the entire classroom. It was so detailed. 
all of the events that would lead up to the rapture, the, the rapture, the, the seven years of tribulation and all that happened in there, Christ's return, the, 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 the millennial reign, then, then the great white throne judgment. Of course, you know, these things, they get pretty complex. Uh, a couple of these things that we hear, uh, you know, these things are, are dispensational in nature. And those we, we hear a lot of are, are like the, the rapture and the mark of the beast. For, for instance, there was a, a popular bumper sticker that, that read, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You remember that? You know, these, these assume a dispensational eschatology or view of the end times because other systems wouldn't see it that way. But, but other systems have, have lost popularity for the, the reasons that we mentioned earlier. But I, but I think people are starting to see that dispensationalism isn't really the only game in town anymore. The second thing is that we hear a lot about, especially during this pandemic, and that is a reference to the mark of the beast, right? There was a thing going around not long ago on social media that seemed to indicate that, that the, the COVID vaccine might be the mark of the beast. So you, you might not want to get that. Of course, um, the foolishness there, most people will see right through that. But, right, for one, they don't give you the vaccine in your forehead. Uh, but, but I think that's the, the problem with futurism in, in general, or at least much of it, especially concerning dispensationalism, is that it leads to all these sorts of, of weird speculations about the, the mark of the, the beast, America's involvement in the end times. And, and you have all these people then screening the Bible to find out where America's fitting in this or where the, the Antichrist, this one world government. I, I remember when um, Bill Clinton was president, people were sure that he was the, the Antichrist and he wasn't the, the last in a, a long line of, of speculations of who the Antichrist might be. In any case, we'll talk more about dispensationalism as we, as we move through the text of Revelation. Our purpose here was to just introduce you to it a little bit, to, to wet your whistle, to, to get you to, to study it more, to, to look through these things. Uh, to say, boy, I've I've really haven't heard anything about dispensationalism. I want to look into it, or um, I've really kind of been growing up in this view, and and I want to to know why I believe what I believe. So, hopefully, it, it furthers you on in this study, and and perhaps it's brought up some questions for you. Um, feel free to ask me those questions. I would love to to interact with those. Uh, to just take a, a podcast and just deal with the, the questions that you might have. I, I will say this at the end, and, and we can make this sort of a, a footnote on all of this. I said before in a previous podcast that I'm not a huge fan of dispensationalism, uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a lot of respect for some that fall into that camp. Uh, they're not all crazy. Uh, <laughs> some might be in trying to predict the 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 day of Jesus' return or, or whatever. Um, but most of them are very serious about the word of God. They're doing the best to, to understand it correctly. John MacArthur would fall into that camp. I, I greatly appreciate him. I'm, I'm indebted to his verse-by-verse -verse exposition of, of the scriptures. Uh, I would never write off uh, J. Mac and, and just say, because he's a dispensationalist, you shouldn't pay attention to him. But at the same time, you, you should be aware that when it comes to um, his perspective, it's going to come from a, a dispensational bend and it's going to, it's going to change things. So if you use a John MacArthur study Bible, for instance, you need to realize it's going to approach things from a, a dispensational perspective. And it seems like this perspective has such a, 
an influence on on all sorts of other things like like we said that the church just being distinct from from Israel how prophecy is is done uh, the the role of Israel in the future and in all of those other things so until next time uh, we'll continue to explore the book of Revelation together so till next time see you.